All right, everybody, welcome to episode number 71 of the Between the Cracks podcast. I am your host, Bill, and with me, as always, is my co-host, Chris. Now, Chris, <laughs> before, before we get to you, I have a monster announcement to make. I may sound a little bit different tonight, and I'm hoping that's for the best, because, little buddy, I am recording from inside our new BTCRF. That's right, the spanking new state-of-the-art Between the Cracks Research Facility. Bud, what do you think of that? <laughs> you, we've gone too far now. I mean, we're, we're really in this. We have a research facility. <laughs> yes. yes, Chris, I have moved out of the house, and I am now recording in a makeshift shed that I have here in the backyard. Because my entire family got sick of me making them be quiet for the hour and a half that we record each week. <laughs> and so, uh, that being said, now we we have a an official facility to work out of. <laughs> we do. I have two computers in front of me. <laughs> now, Chris, there are a bunch of firsts on tonight's episode. Not only is this the first time that we're recording in our new BTC RF, but this is also the first time that we're headed down to Missouri. That's right, pal. Tonight, we are headed to none other than Skidmore, Missouri, to discuss the case of Ken Rex McElroy. Now, people may say, who the hell is Ken Rex McElroy? And... <laughs> That's what I was saying earlier this week too, Chris, until I started diving into this and I was thinking, how can I put this? How can I put this into words? Ken was just a fun-loving, sweet guy who was always there for his neighbors and, you know, as they always say when someone passes away, he lit up a room and he would give you the shirt off his back. Am I <laughs> right, Chris? Well, you couldn't be further from the truth. <laughs> Ken was not exactly the warmest of souls, and in regards to his neighbors, he pretty much shit on them. Yeah, you're not joking, Chris. This guy was literally the town bully. When I say town, I mean small town, because we're talking about 1980s Skidmore, Missouri, and who the hell knows what the population was then, but as of 2010, Skidmore has a population of a mere 280 people. Can you believe that? I mean, I believe it. I mean, there's plenty of these states in the middle of the country where, you know, there's just like no one to be found. But I think it is worth mentioning that he's pretty, pretty much been around this area his entire life. And the things that he's done before this point, I mean, he really has really been a colossal prick his whole life. Oh, yeah, a complete asshole. And we're going to get into that, Chris, because uh, we're going to be discussing a whole boatload of shit that old Kenny did here. He was accused of multiple heinous crimes which were included, but not limited to, assault, child molestation, statutory rape, arson, animal cruelty, cattle rustling, and burglary, just to name a few. Now get this, Chris, this is even the crazier part. He was indicted 21 times, but he was never convicted until the last time he committed a crime. Upon hearing all of these charges and accusations against him, Chris, in such a small town as Skidmore, Missouri, and mind you, this is taking place in the mid-70s to the early 80s, Skidmore, Missouri. So you had this madman literally roaming around and preying on the residents of his own town. And it boils over into a point where the townsfolk had to 
take matters into their own hands, and we're going to come to find out what it is they did. But before we do that, Chris, as I always say here on BTC, we need to go backwards to go forward. So why don't we dig into old Kenny's uh, childhood and see if there's anything we might be able to extract from his childhood that may help us unravel the reasons as to why he became such a mega prick. Chris, what you got for us? Old Ken Rexy was born in 1934. He was the 15th of 16 children born to a poor migrant tenant farming couple. I'm sorry, Chris. Did you say 15 of 16? Yes, they were busy. The family moved between Kansas and the Ozarks before finally settling in Skidmore, where this whole story takes place. Ken actually drops out of school at the age of 15, um, and, and basically... From this point on, he, he begins to get this reputation of being a thief, you know, rustling up cattle, a, a womanizer. Well, hold on. We, I, we should add that as an eighth grader, Ken was 15 years old. So it's obvious that he must have stayed back a year or two. So when you hear the term womanizer, we're still talking about <laughs> a 15-year-old kid here. So that's kind of a, a, a bizarre reputation to begin to develop at such a young age. Is the point I'm trying to make. Needless to say, Ken's pretty much been a douchebag since the age of 15. I mean, this guy's just an overall jerk, and he has been since he was a kid. And it's easy to blame it on his childhood and his upbringing, but ultimately, you have to be able to make your own choices and decide which path you want to take your own life. And this guy decided early on that he was just going to be a grade A asshole. Because all these crimes combined that he was accused of, 21 times, mind you, it's a culmination of a lifetime of being a douche. This is going on at age 15, and it will follow him through the rest of his life into adulthood. And the crimes only get, as you can expect, more grandiose and more vile. Chris, you would imagine that this guy would have a very difficult time finding a woman. So you may ask, how did Ken McElroy end up with 10 children from various different women? Well, Chris... They weren't women at all, because old Kenny here was quite the little pedophile. And when I say that, I mean that Ken, being in his early 20s, would soon start quote-unquote dating girls as young as 12 years old. And that is a theme that would continue on throughout his life. And even until the end of his life, he was still pursuing and forcing himself on underage children. So much so that he was actually charged with, as we mentioned earlier in the show, child molestation and statutory rape. He intimidated the girls and their families to such an extent that they refused to even testify against him when the county was trying to prosecute him. So this guy had a stranglehold on everybody in this community. On top of that, I mean, he has a lawyer that he uses frequently by the name of Richard Gene McFadden. And he actually mentions or, or kind of brags that this guy is a lawyer for the mafia. You know, the reason for him being able to get out of all this is this guy is a hotshot lawyer that represents the mob. I don't know if there's any actual evidence proving that. But what is true is that Ken is able to escape conviction on almost every occasion when he's been in charge for something. Well, this lawyer that you're talking about, McFadden, he actually went on to say that Ken was one of his better customers because it was steady work, he was punctual, and he would always pay in cash. How does this guy even making money? 
Chris, it's funny that you ask because we come to find out that old Kenny boy here actually had a business in which he was training hounds. He was training dogs and I'm assuming he would breed them as well. So he would make a substantial amount of money off of that. But in addition, and remember we said this earlier in the show, he was rustling cattle. Rustling cattle basically just means that Chris, he would go around stealing cattle and farm swine <laughs> in the middle of the night. So he went so far as to even get larger automobiles and trucks and whatnot, clear out the backs, and then pull up on a farm in the middle of the night, throw a cow in there, throw multiple pigs in there, take them to a different town, and sell them. This is how he made his money, and he must have made a substantial amount of money doing so, because as you said, he had to pay this lawyer McFadden nonstop through the years. Not to mention that it was probably a pretty easy gig for this lawyer Seeing as that Ken would basically scare these people into submission, into not testifying or anything. So he was doing all the work. Ken was, was just scaring off these people from even having to do things. So this guy, Richard, is just winning a bunch of cases. Well, that's the thing. McFadden here just keeps asking for a postponement on, on the trial and whatnot. And it was during that time that somehow Ken was still allowed to walk around free and do whatever the hell he wanted in the town. And he would go around and harass and threaten the people that were willing to testify against him. He would actually show up to places with guns and actually shoot at people. So whether it be he was actually trying to shoot them or scare them, he would actually fire off the shotgun. Aside from him being, you know, a maniac in that sense, he was a, a physical presence, if you get my meaning. Uh, he was a rather large man. Uh, I think he was roughly 270 pounds. Tread lightly. Tread lightly. <laughs> so it was basically... And who knows, it could have even been intentional because he might want to just make a big presence. This tends to happen with people like bullies. They, they never amount to anything in real life, so they, they had to resort to, to trying to scare people. You know, just like all douchebags. I mean, this is beyond bullying at this point. This guy is now threatening people's lives, and he's coming close to attempted murder charges. It's hard to imagine that things could get much worse than attempting to shoot someone or attempting to kill someone, but... In this story, it actually does, because what we're going to talk about, and we got to dive into this a little bit, is much more grotesque and heinous, if you ask me. Because we come to find out that one of McElroy's wives, and I, I use the term loosely, was a young girl by the name of Trina McLeod. And Trina was a mere 12 years old when she first got involved with McElroy. And Chris, McElroy was 35 years old. So we have a 35-year-old man attempting to be with and get this chris eventually marrying a 12 year old girl and the sick part is trina ends up getting pregnant at the age of 14 right so that's despicable and obviously because of this this is considered statutory rape because of her age but to avoid getting charged for statutory rape mcelroy actually divorces his current wife alice and marries trina so that it could be considered that his wife that he knocked up, so he can avoid getting a statutory rape charge. I mean, come on. I mean, what the fuck is going on down in 1970s Skidmore, Missouri? Who gives a shit if he divorces his ex-wife to be with this one? She's still 12 years old when he began raping her. And then, as you said, she was 14 when she had a child with him. But how the fuck did nobody step up at this point, you know? I understand, yeah, maybe you might have been intimidating, but my God, man, these, these crimes are heinous. So you can imagine now that Trina's parents must be losing their goddamn shit, and they were. But 
Once again, McElroy went back to his old playbook and began threatening them. But he actually did carry out some of these threats. Chris, he burned down their house, he shot their family dog, and he harassed the parents so much that they actually agreed to let him marry her. This was after Trina gave birth to the baby when her and Alice, who was McElroy's other wife, actually fled to Trina's parents' house and then he burned all this stuff down and, and shot the dog. So they even were trying to get away and he brings them back. Fuck this guy! And then burns the house and everything. So there's no proof that he burned the house down apparently and they just chalk it up as like a wiring issue in the house. You've got to be talking about a murderous rage. Even if I wasn't involved, if I just lived in this town, I'd have a murderous rage. This is a brief synopsis of the type of guy that we are dealing with. And he keeps walking away scot-free because, uh, Chris, it's later noted that he was indicted back in 73 for arson, assault, and statutory rape. So that's a nice little slew of charges there. And uh, he was arraigned and released for the insurmountable asking price of $2,500. And while he was being indicted and arraigned, Trina was sent with her child to a foster care in Maryville, Missouri. Well, what do you think McElroy did? You think he probably just let it happen, right? Went back to home and, uh, you know, called it quits. Yes, that's what I'm going with. Nope, he, uh, he does what he always does, and he sits outside the foster home for hours just staring. Using his intimidation tactics, except he goes a little further this time, because he says, oh, well, I'll trade you. And you might ask, what would he be trading? Well, it appears that the foster family's biological daughter, he knew where she went to school and the bus route that she rode on. So he said, I'll trade you your own daughter for mine. Basically threatening them that what he would do to their daughter. I hate this guy. So... We probably haven't told you that he's also shot a couple people. Um, One time. Come on, man. (laughs) One time he shot somebody. Get this. He was running. He was being chased by a farmer on, on the farmer's property. And he shoots the farmer on his own property for chasing him. This is outrageous. I mean, where the fuck are the cops? I mean, can somebody do something here? Chris, I actually have a quote here from a local Skidmore farmer at the time, a man by the name of, oh, he has your middle name, Kirby, Kirby Gossley. And old Kirby says, and I quote, our law enforcement never went after him very hard. The son of a bitch would just as soon shoot them as anyone else. So even the cops are running scared of this guy. Yeah, that was one thing I I think I I read too as well, that he was not afraid to shoot uh, a police officer either. Yeah, Chris, so that incident that happened on the farm took place in 76, and McElroy's reign of terror just continued to roll along smoothly. And I would say without incident, but no, he was charged a couple times, but you guessed it, old Rexy walked away scot-free. Sense the tone of my voice, Chris, I'm getting pissed off. So (laughs) let's fast forward here into 1980. So finally, you're going to think, well, maybe McElroy's aging, the shit's going to slow down a little bit. Nope. It gets even worse because in 1980, Chris, there is an event that takes place that acts as the catalyst to McElroy's undoing. Let's get into this because uh, a couple bad things happened before we get to the the, uh, big reveal here. So, Chris, why don't you tell us what happened in 1980 that was such a a big deal? Well, it seems relatively harmless, except this time the uh, 
The deed wasn't done by McElroy, but you can imagine his children took after him. One of his children got into an argument with a clerk at a local grocery store because they were stealing a piece of candy. They were leaving the store, trying to leave the store without paying for it. The owner, by the name of Ernest Bowencamp, or Bo as they called him, look, it's the it's it's the principle here. It doesn't matter that it was a 50 cent candy. It's the principle. You don't let people just steal shit from you. And I'm sure he knows in a town this small that they were um, McElroy's children. So they're probably learning the tricks of the trade from dear old dad. And so you can imagine when, when old Rexy boy hears out about this, well, he begins stalking Bowen Camp and his family. So his children have done nothing wrong. You know, forget about the kids committing a crime. Regardless if it's... it's some small, minor little piece of candy. That doesn't matter. It doesn't matter what it is. It's the principle behind it. McElroy is just shining as a parent here, Chris, because I'm going to guess that old uh, Mackie went and talked to his children and made them go in and apologize to uh, Mr. Bone Camp for attempting to steal an item from a store. Am I right, Chris? Oh, that was uh, one of the less dramatic Am I Right Chris's. <laughs> it's the research facility, Chris. I don't have time. <laughs> uh, well, uh, as you often are in these circumstances, you are wrong, Bill. Uh, he, <laughs> As I so often am. <laughs> he, of course, decides to get into an altercation with the owner, Bo Bowencamp, in the back of his store. Well, and he has a shotgun in his hand, and, uh, well, he uses it this time. So... He ends up shooting Bo Bowencamp at point-blank range in the neck with a shotgun. By some miracle, Bowencamp survives this shot. At this point, of course, McRoy has to be arrested and charged with attempted murder. But there's, let's just say there's 50 shades of murder. There's definitely different ways that you can skew those terms murder. At each level, you know, there's either a less or greater sentence involved. So in this case, he was not being charged with attempted murder. I'm not sure of the exact wording they used, but regardless, there was an appeal made. And with an appeal, he gets freed on bail and he's happy to pay bail, which I'm sure was probably no more than $3,000 or whatever the hell they charged back then, uh, which was... All it needs to go is steal a pig or a cow, pay that off. <laughs> exactly. So basically, it's more of the same thing here. And even with the severity of this one, as as far as attempted murder, he's still able to walk the streets again. It's just unbelievable. It, but the crazy thing is, even after the, the trial hearing, he goes to the, the local tavern, D&G Tavern, with a rifle in his hand and a bayonet on it, and he starts making threats about what he would do to Bowen Camp. And what made McElroy so angry... Chris, was the fact that, and believe it or not, he was actually convicted at trial of assaulting, not attempted murder, but assault of Bo Bowencamp. If there was any ounce of justice in this town, this guy would have been sitting in jail for the rest of his life. It's truly remarkable, you know, and we're going back, this is only 40 years ago. This is not like the Wild West. That's, that's what I was saying, like, earlier before when we were discussing this case. This doesn't seem like you're in the 1980s. This seems like you're in you're in a saloon at the, in the fucking Wild West. You came out on horseback. This is the 1980s, so it's, it's crazy. But maybe this town is caught in the Wild West. It's just there is that kind of idea that this bully, this guy, has more power than anybody. So now 
the, the townspeople are just like, this guy's now just shooting people in the neck, and he's still walking around free. So they have had enough. So the people of Skidmore then get together with uh, a local sheriff, and they come up with a plan to create this call line, essentially create a neighborhood watch to monitor anything that McElroy may be doing. What took them so long to do this? I don't know. But that's where we stand at this point. So the appeal delay ends up lasting 10 days. So the people of Skidmore have to deal with a very angered and convicted, for the first time, mind you, McElroy walking around. So who knows what he's capable of this point? Because he was getting off and still acting like a monster. This time he's convicted, Chris, and is walking around freely for a week and a half. So everybody's got to be on edge. Well, and let's just add that this conviction was really nothing crazy I think the max sentence was two years. So this guy would be right back out in short time and harassing everybody again. Like I said, knowing what this guy did when he was found not guilty, what's he capable of now that he's been convicted? And knowing that he's definitely going to jail, he has 10 days to wreak havoc on Skidmore. At this point, the townsfolk said, enough is enough. We've got to put our heads together and come up with a plan. And they did just that. Because we come to find out, Chris, that the townspeople gathered at a local American Legion Hall in Skidmore, and they actually invited the sheriff to come be part of the meeting. Even the mayor was there. (laughs) Everybody except McElroy himself was at this meeting. So they're thinking about what they can do, and Sheriff Dan Estes told the citizens to continue with the neighborhood watch, the call line and whatnot, but he urged them not to directly confront McElroy, because obviously who the hell knows what he's capable of at this point. But it's at that point <laughs> that Sheriff Estes gets in his uh, car, his little police cruiser there, and takes off out of town. And uh, To run a few errands on the map. Yes, and I'm wondering if the sirens were playing see no evil, hear no evil, because it's at this point <laughs> that the citizens of beautiful Skidmore, Missouri, decide to leave the Legion Hall and... Uh, Walk down to D&G Tavern because Christie had word that someone was in there having a drink. Who might that someone be? Well, it was McElroy himself accompanied by Trina, his, uh, you know, the wife that he, you know, raped at the age of 12. Imagine just the balls to be out at the local bar having a drink when you've been convicted of assault, essentially attempting to murder this old man that runs uh, the grocery store here in town. That's how much power and clout this guy thought he had. And and he did for many years. But, Chris, it all comes to a glorious head, doesn't it? Oh, it does. Because those roughly 60 townspeople that were gathered at the Legion Hall now have packed the tavern. I wonder if McElroy has a sense of uneasiness at this point because... This tavern is packed with townspeople that just all came in at once. And now outside of the tavern are the remainder of the people who couldn't fit in the tavern. And they are uh, waiting on old McElroy to finish his drinks. You know, say what you want about what happens next, but just the courtesy of these people to let him finish his beer. (laughs) He finishes his drinks and uh, old Rexy here, uh, as I like to call him, (laughs) departs from the tavern with a six pack of beer. The balls! The balls to, to be surrounded by all these people that hate you. You're convicted of this felony. You're about to go to jail. You're having a drink at the local bar. And then you tell the barkeep, hey, I'll take a six pack for the road too. While you're surrounded by an angry mob. 
I can't tell you how long we've waited for an angry mob to actually fit <laughs> into one of our stories here. Is, is there anything better than an angry mob? <laughs> we always reference angry mobs. I don't know why, but we always do. And now we have one. So McElroy leaves the bar with Trina. Trina enters the pickup in the passenger seat, and uh, old Rexy here is in the driver's seat. It, it should be noted that Trina actually does say that she was very uneasy, so I'm assuming that Rex must have known what was going down at this point, too, because it's unlike him not to be confrontational, isn't it? <laughs> Precisely. Perhaps he felt a little bit, uh, how do I put this, outnumbered? <laughs> Good. Chris, I'm going to assume, being they let... Ken finishes beer, get a six-pack, get into the truck. They just give him a stern talking to, a verbal warning of some sort, or maybe even some non-verbal uh, daggers. You know, maybe maybe they give him a dirty look or so, just to let him know to be on the up-and-up until he is uh, sentenced. Well, you'd be wrong, Bill. Um... <laughs> Yet again? What happened, Chris? Well, somebody armed with a rifle... And perhaps I should say more than one somebody <laughs> aimed through the back window of the pickup truck at old Rexy here, and multiple shots are fired. Two of those shots hit McElroy, and the deed is done. Now, Trina was in the passenger seat, so she actually jumps out of the passenger's side out into the lot. There were some people in the crowd that actually assisted her with getting out of the car, so right. they... Uh, had no intent of hurting Trina. This was not about Trina at all. This was about old Rex. Oh, was it ever? Let's just put it this way, that there was many years of theft, rape, attempted murder, bullying, stalking, and it finally, uh, it hit a head. Oh, <laughs> oh it hit a head, all right. <laughs> Twice. <laughs> yeah, Chris. So now we got to look at this, right? Ken walks outside, there's an angry mob, okay, of roughly 40 to 60 people, based on different testimonies. Someone must have seen something. Now, let's take the high estimate here. Out of the 60 witnesses, Chris, how many came forward to identify the shooter or shooters? How many, bud? Lay it on me. Uh... Not a single person could be deemed a witness. They all said they didn't see what happened. Oh, my God. How is that possible? Just, I mean, talk about divine intervention. Nobody's seeing a thing. Let me add that amongst those 60 people, nobody called for an ambulance. We should say, Chris, that there was one person that claimed to identify the gunman, and that was Trina herself. But it seems that all other people said that they could not back up that statement. They saw nothing. So much so, Chris, that uh, the DA himself, or herself, whoever the hell it was, declined to even press charges. But we should add that uh, the feds did do their due diligence. They uh, launched a full investigation, but it never led to any charges. But there was one local resident that told investigators, and this is uh, probably the quote of the century, Chris. This, this, really, this really puts it all together. This gentleman, who remained unidentified, said that, quote-unquote, he needed a killing. <laughs> uh, we should make a shirt. <laughs> yeah, that's actually that, that's a pretty good idea, Chris. He needed a killing. Trina actually filed a $5 million wrongful death suit 
against the town of Skidmore and uh, old Sheriff uh, Esses there and the mayor of Skidmore himself because she's claiming that they were all outside Sans Estes, who drove off, they all claimed to have seen nothing and nobody did anything to assist Mr. McElroy. But that lawsuit went nowhere, Chris, because no one admitted any guilt and both sides <laughs> decided to settle out of court for a mere $17,000. Trina's a victim in all this, just like the rest of the people of Skidmore, Missouri. And unfortunately, she had a uh, very tough end. Uh, and she actually died of cancer on her 55th birthday in 2012. So her life was, for all intents and purposes, ruined by Ken McElroy. And as of today, McElroy finds himself buried at the Memorial Park Cemetery in St. Joseph, Missouri. But that's it, Chris. That is the story of the town bully of Skidmore, Missouri, Ken Rex McElroy. Or McElroy, however the hell you want to say it. We did it. We got through this episode. And I mean, there is going to be a lot of cleaning up here. And uh, <laughs> I might have to call the people of Skidmore, Missouri to come here and help me clean this episode up because there is going to be quite the bit of editing from all of our blunders throughout this recording. But let's get the hell out of here before we fuck up anymore. If you want to get in touch with us, you can reach us at btcpod2020 at gmail.com. Or you can get in touch with us on Facebook at the Between the Cracks podcast. Or... If uh, Instagram tickles your uh, funny bone, you can get in touch with me there at Between the Cracks Podcast. And uh, what else, Chris? Uh, if you want to become one of our lovely patrons, the link to that will be in the show notes. Woo! And uh, what I'm going to say, guys, we're going to need some extra funding for this BTC research facility because as we put out more episodes and, and we dive into these cases a little bit deeper, you know, the costs are going to go up. So uh, if you find a few pennies in your pocket and you want to become a patron, please do so. But with all that said, Chris, why don't you say we wish to find, find people out in podcast land the fondest. Oh, a farewell. Woof. Whoa, I'm going to have to clean this bitch up. are we recording in btcf oh my god now chris there are a bunch of firsts on tonight's oh you piece of fucking living shit in 1934 old mcelroy here <laughs> i'm just gonna keep changing his name in 1934 old ken rexy Well, I'm sorry, come again. What about Rexy? In 1934, old Kenny Rex. <laughs> <laughs> oh, please, not one another. These, these could last 20 minutes. We gotta get out of it. <laughs> old Ken Rexy was born in 1934, and he was the fifth at the. <laughs> no, no, no. All right, I'm, I'm gonna let this flow now. Old Ken Rexy was born in. Ah! <laughs> <laughs> uh. Olken Rexy was born in 1934. <laughs> <laughs> I'm sorry, Chris. Is that that's John Cougar Bowen Camp's uh, brother? <laughs> Not now, Bill. <laughs> <laughs> but we never said he was convicted. Fuck.